What's one of the nicest banquets or receptions you've ever been to? Just one of the, man, just like swanky gathering you've ever been to. Uh, my wife, Rika, myself, uh, probably the nicest one we've ever went to was a wedding reception in Palm Springs, California. And so we went to this uh, beautiful, uh, you know, uh, Ritz-Carlton that was overlooking the Valley of Palm Springs up on a bluff. For those of you who maybe have got sucked into like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette TV shows in the past, uh, the very first wedding at The Bachelorette uh, was at this location, a $1 million wedding, all right? And so uh, this couple that had invited us didn't spend a million dollars, but they spent tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars on this wedding. And so it was this lavish outdoor wedding. It was December 31st, outdoor wedding, California, all right? So Palm Springs. And, um, and after the wedding, we went to the reception. <laughs> oh, the reception. The reception was inside. And it was just, you know, lavish. It was just fine linens and fine china and glassware. And we had amazing cuisine. It wasn't food. It was cuisine, right? And there were uh, like, you know, multiple bottles of wine, white, red, pick your appellation, your flavor, you know, type of thing. We're not talking two-buck chuck, right? This is nice wine on the tables. And then uh, halfway through the reception, because it was December 31st, they converted it to a New Year's Eve party. And all of a sudden, the DJ's in there, more food, more cuisine, you know, and people are dancing and having a good time and just having an awesome time of fellowship with stranger and loved one alike. It was one of the most amazing uh, gatherings we've ever been to, and we were just happy to be there as a guest. Like, what a joy to just be invited, you know, we, didn't, I mean, we could have never afforded to have gone to a place like that, right? So just a joy to go, and we saw the joy it brought those who hosted it to, to have us there. And so when you think about the, the, the nicest banquet you've ever been to, did you deserve to be there? Or were you just a grateful guest? And when you think about some of the nicest banquets that we've ever been to, to they pale in comparison to the banquet that's coming. There's a feast above all feasts. There's a reception above all receptions. There's a banquet above all banquets that's coming one day for those who are in Christ. And we're talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And if you look at your biblical narrative, we know that Jesus Christ came miraculously. He died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven, and he is preparing the banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb. The question I have for you is, will you be there? Do you have a seat at the table? And do you think you have a seat because you've earned it, that you deserve to be there, that you're entitled to be there because you're a good person, you've done good works, or you've done spiritual things, or are you going to be a grateful guest? Because here's the kicker. If you think you deserve to be here, you won't be. And if you don't think you deserve to be there, you can be. And that's what Jesus is getting to at the heart of this parable that we're going to look at today called the parable of the great banquet. And it's found in Luke chapter 14. So I invite you to open up your Bibles with me right now to Luke chapter 14. And as you're looking at Luke 14, I want to kind of paint the picture a little bit more about this banquet that Jesus is inviting us to. Uh, we find the, the passages that refer to this banquet, this marriage supper of the Lamb in 
Isaiah, for example, is a great depiction. Isaiah 25, it says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that spread over all the nations, and he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. What a great scene to envision of this great banquet that's awaiting us as believers in Christ. You know, God also gave the Apostle John a vision of the future. And in the vision of the future, he saw the great banquet, this great marriage supper between Jesus, the groom, and the church, his bride. Revelation 19.6 through 9 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride's made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So again, Will you be there? Will your family be there? Will your, your mom and dad and your brother and sisters be there? Will your neighbors and co-workers be there? Will your spouse be there? Will your kids be there? Because again, if you think you're going to be there because you deserve it, you're not going to be. But if you don't think you deserve it, you can be. And again, this is what we're about to see as Jesus unfolds this parable in Luke 14. As we're in Luke 14, let's just do a little background work. Uh, what is a parable? <laughs> a parable is an earthly story that conveys a heavenly truth or meaning. And Jesus was a master storyteller, and he loved to tell parables. Now, the point of a parable was actually to convey a spiritual truth, and those whose hearts were soft and those whose hearts were open to the Lord, God had tuned their ears to understand understand it. And as they heard the parable, when the truth of that parable, when the meaning of that parable was delivered, it was an aha moment. It's like, ah, I get it. But for those whose hearts are cold to the Lord, those whose hearts are closed to the Lord, they don't get it. It's a mystery. It's confusing. They don't understand the stories. And as we enter this moment where Jesus is telling this parable, this great banquet that's about to happen, here's the context. Jesus was invited by a Pharisee over his home, over his house for a big meal, a nice little banquet. Uh, and, and here's the thing. The Pharisee invited his buddies, other Pharisees, probably some scribes and you know, experts in the Jewish religious system and laws. But this invite wasn't an authentic like, hey, Jesus, we just want to have you over to hang out. It was actually a trap because they also invited someone that they normally would never invite. They invited a man. You see this in the first half of Luke 14. We're going to jump into Luke, verse 12, but this is what you see in the first half. They invited this man that needed physical healing. Well, this was a Sabbath day. Their religious law said there's no healing on the Sabbath, right? So they were going to see, this is bait. This man is bait. This poor guy is like, oh, I get to go to lunch. It's like, you're just bait, man, all right? They baited Jesus to see if he's going to heal him. Well, Jesus did heal him. 
and then had some words for his critics, and then he you know, gave some instructions on being humble, and then he turns into these little instructions that really are about to cue up the parable we're going to look at today. So let's join ourselves together in Luke 14, verse 12. It says this, He said to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be, what's the word? Repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's giving instructions to his host and he's basically saying this. Don't just invite people to your gatherings that like you, that know you. And more importantly, and this is where he was poking at the heart of this man and the other people there that were his friends, and don't invite people who can do something for you, people that can repay you. They're going to invite you back over for their house, or they're going to do something for you because you had them over. He knows the motives of this host. And so he's saying, don't just invite people that you know. This is hyperbole. Jesus doesn't literally mean never have your family and friends over for, you know, a meal. I mean, that's not what Jesus is saying. I mean, hey, Mom, I hate to tell you this, but Jesus said I can't have you over for dinner anymore, you know. <laughs> He's using this extreme example to say don't just have people over that know you, like you, and can repay you. Instead, invite the unlikely guest. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, people that will be so blown away that they just get to come and be with you. They, they can't repay you. There's nothing they can do for you. He goes, this kind of hospitality, this is good and godly hospitality. This is, this, is, this is the heart of God in action. And so, of course, we see here a picture of the gospel because uh, we know that God has invited us to his banquet. And, and we are the spiritually poor. We are the spiritually uh, crippled and blind and lame people that, that all we can do is be grateful that we even get an invite and so Jesus is talking about that. And he's saying, basically, the one who can host like this out of a godly motive, just knowing that they're going to be at the resurrection, just knowing that they're going to be with the Lord for eternity is enough of a, res of, of a reward. This is just going to be a joy for them to do. Well, this is an awkward moment. This isn't just like supper chatter. Jesus is, is mildly rebuking his host right now. So this is kind of awkward. This is kind of tense. And then there's always that person, right? that has to open their mouth and make awkward more awkward and make intense out of tense, right? So we're going to go from an awkward moment to more awkward. We're going to go from tense to intense because triggered by the thought of the resurrection, triggered by the thought of, the, you know, one day this great banquet, and he's with Pharisees and scribes and all these guys who know about Isaiah 25, which we just saw, triggered by all that, here's what this guy says in verse 15. When one of those who recline at the table, enter anonymous dude in verse 15 here, when one of those who recline at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And so it's like Jesus is giving this mild rebuke to his host, and this guy pops up and blurts out, hey, blessed is everybody who's going to be there at this great table. It's kind of like lifting a glass to a cheer, you know, and, and giving a toast. And, and the problem is, behind this man's statement is the assumption he's going to be there. He's going like, hey, 
Blessed is me and all my buddies here because we're Pharisees and we're super religious. Like we know the religious laws. We know the religious rules. Uh, We not just try to obey them. We try to help others obey them. We're uber spiritual. So clearly we're going to be there. Blessed is everybody who's going to be at that table. And so he kind of, you know, parenthetically lifts his glass for a toast. And instead of Jesus going, here, here, he goes, "Mm, not so fast. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a parable. And then the parable of the great banquet comes out of this. Look with me at verse 16. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Everyone say many. Many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore cannot come. The, obviously, the meaning behind this parable is that God is the person represented by the man who's having a banquet. And the banquet is a reference to the Isaiah 25, Revelation 19, great marriage reception, supper of the Lamb. And what Jesus is saying is this great landowner gave an invite to all these people to come. Now, here's a little bit about the invite custom and culture of the day. Like for us, if we're going to have a special gathering, we send out kind of a save the date, right? Save the date. Put this on your calendar. They didn't have save the date. They didn't have evite. They didn't text. They didn't do all this kind of stuff. It was more like save the moment, save the event. It's coming. And so the servants would go out to the people who were invited, and they would say, hey, my master is going to have a a banquet, a reception coming up soon. I want you to know about it. We'll let you know when it's ready. And then the person would prepare, the master would prepare the meal. Now, we're not talking about a quick Costco trip, people, all right? This is, animals have to be slaughtered and prepared for the meal. Bread has to be made, right? And then you got to like harvest the produce. You got to prepare the table. This is a major undertaking that the master is now going to go into preparations. And once all the preparations are done, he sends the servants back out and says, now go tell everybody we're ready. So it's the equivalent of a meal in your home when you've been working on it, and then you put it on the table, ring the bell, whatever you do, and say, dinner's on. And if you have teenagers, it sounds like this. Dinner's on, dinner's on, dinner's on, right, okay? And so dinner's on. So the servant, the parable goes back out to tell all those who originally invited and who RSVP'd yes, hey, drop everything, it's time. And now the people who said they would be there have a change of heart and mind. And they give these excuses. This could also be called the parable of the lame excuses. Because that's what we're about to see here, right? So one guy, oh man, hey, I was going to go, but I bought some land, and now i got to go check it out. Really? Who buys land without first seeing it? Okay, so lame excuse number one. Another guy, hey, I, I was going to come, but I bought these, these oxen, and i got to go see them and you know, examine them and stuff. Really, you bought oxen without seeing them first. What if they have three legs? Like, you don't know, okay? So we don't buy cars without test driving them. So this is a lame excuse. And the third, the third one, this dude just fell on his head, man. <laughs> I can't make it. I got married. <laughs> but your wife won't let you come? Like, she's welcome. Come along, okay? So there's, there's these, these excuses that are they're all piling on. The excuses in the parable expose the hearts of the people invited. 
they were disinterested in the host. See, the people listening to the story would have been emotionally engaged because it would be highly, highly offensive to be invited to a meal and decline, especially if you already said you were going to be there. To decline an invitation to the meal was to say you decline relationship with the host. If you don't want to go to the meal, you want nothing to do with the host. This is what Jesus is laying out there as he goes through this parable. Now, obviously, in this parable, Jesus is referring to the general and tragic rejection of Jesus as Messiah to the nation of Israel. They were the original invites. We see in John, right? John chapter 1, verse 11, it says, He came to His own people, and His people did not receive Him. Jesus came to the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. He came as the Jewish Messiah. The, the, this is so tragic. The people of Israel have been waiting for the Messiah to show up. They knew this Isaiah 25 banquet was coming. Isaiah's going to come. He's going to show up. Supper's on. The kingdom's here. Let's go. Jesus shows up, and they're like, eh, yeah, we don't want to believe. We don't believe in you. We're uninterested in you. We don't want to come to your banquet. And so this is generally the rejection of Israel. But also we still see this playing out today, right? Many people are disinterested to the invitation of Jesus to be in relationship, to be forgiven, and to come and dine with him for all of eternity. And when you look at the the excuses given in the parable, the excuses are orbiting around earthly pursuits, earthly possessions, and earthly relationships. And so the excuse is, oh, I've, I've got this land I've got to go check. I've got this oxen. I've got this relationship. These people have things in their life that they've put more important than God. And so they don't see their need for God. Is that any different than what we see today? Still today, many people, and maybe you, and I hope not, but it, it, we can all relate to this, we put earthly things above God. Even as believers, we let that creep into our life. Well, well, Lord, I, I would do this, but, and maybe it's not land, maybe it's not oxen, maybe it's not, but it's something else. My job, uh, you know, this, this possession, this thing I have that I, that I own, I have to take, I've got to go do this thing. And we put those above the Lord. And we know there's people out there that desperately need the Lord, but they're pursuing earthly pursuits and earthly possessions. And then relationships. You know, this guy's like, I've got a wife. I can't come. There's relationships that we put above our relationship with the Lord. Even relationships that don't honor him or glorify him. That the Lord would say, that, that's not pleasing to me. Well, I'm going to put that above you. So we still see the same thing playing out. So that's what's taking place in the parable. But at the heart of the matter, at the root of the matter, why did these people all make these excuses? As Jesus was telling the story to these Pharisees that had hosted him over to bait him, he was actually poking at their self-righteousness their spiritual pride, and um, their self-sufficiency. We have religion. We have rules. We have morality. We don't need what you are offering. And people today still find themselves in the same boat. Hey, like, I'm going to earn my way to heaven. I'm going to earn forgiveness. I got all these things. And so I'm disinterested in Jesus. We still see some of the same things playing out today. And the problem is, is there's still many people walking around thinking that I have to earn a seat at the table 
or that I've been so good, I deserve a seat at the table. I'm entitled to a seat at the table. It's coming to me. And the problem is that that is a tragic misunderstanding of the gospel of God's grace because we cannot earn our forgiveness. We don't deserve our forgiveness. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is a great reminder. It says, for by grace. In fact, read this with me. It's on the screen. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Some of you might still be there. Some of you have loved ones still there. You've got family members there. You've got friends there. You've got neighbors there. People who think, I've got to earn my way to heaven. I have to earn my seat at the table so that I can deserve to be there, that I'm entitled to be there. That is a departure from what Jesus has made so clear to us. It's disheartening to see that Israel and that the men in this room and people today still are disinviting themselves to this great banquet that Jesus is going to have one day. And if you miss out on this great feast of Christ, it wasn't for a lack of invite. Jesus did not exclude you. You excused yourself like the people in the parable. I want to make sure you don't miss that. If you're not at the great supper of the marriage of the Lamb in the future, it's not because you weren't invited. It's because, like the people in the parable, you excused yourself through making other things more important that you never saw your need for Jesus or through self-righteousness and spiritual pride. You know, a great theologian in the 1900s, Charles Spurgeon, says this, related to this topic. He says, My wonder rises that men do not come to the banquet of love which honors all its guests. When the banquet is so costly to the host, so free to the guest, and so honorable to all concerned, how is it that there should be found any so unwise as to refuse the favor? Surely here is an illustration of the folly of the unrenewed heart and a proof of the deep depravity which sin has caused. If men turn their backs on Moses with the stony tablets, I do not marvel. But to despise the loaded tables of grace, heaped up with oxen and fatlings, this is strange. To resist the justice of God is a crime, but to repel the generosity of heaven, what is this? We must invent a term of infamy with which to brand this base ingratitude. To resist God in majesty of terror is insanity, but to spurn him in the majesty of his mercy is something more than madness. There are just those today still, who have no interest in being there, and they've uninvited themselves. So then who's going to be at the banquet? Jesus continues on. Join me again in verse 21 in this parable. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry, and he said to his servants, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sound familiar? And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done. And, and I love this part, I love this, still there's room. There's still room at the table. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges. Hedges were barriers between property and perimeters. Go to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be, what's the word? Filled. See, the listeners of this message would have understood the anger of the man in the parable. Like, yeah, you went to all the trouble to prepare this thing and these people decide not to come? Yeah, that's aggravating. But the next part would have puzzled them because they would have never considered this in their self-righteousness. 
The master going out and saying, okay, go out to the lost sheep of Israel. Go out to the poor, the blind. Go to the unlikely guests. Go to those who never would have come to something like this, who could never repay, and just bring them to the table. And I love the servant. Okay, we did it. And there's still a lot of room. And then he says, go out then beyond the city walls. Go out to the roads, to the trade routes. Go find the foreigners. Go find the travelers. Go find people who had no idea that there was even going to be a banquet and bring them in. And of course, theologically, this is a reference to non-Jews, to Gentiles. That not only did those people who Christ came to first uh, get to come here, but then the lost sheep of Israel, the outcasts, and then those who came to faith who were outcasts, and then those who were non-Jews. Like, if you get a picture of heaven, every skin color is going to be there. Every nation, tribe, and tongue is going to be in heaven. This is, a, this is an open invite. So it's so cool because God's not going to reschedule his party because some people don't respond with a yes. He's just going to invite more people and make it bigger. And the cool part, you and I are invited. We get to be there. And the Lord's invited us in. But are we going to come with an attitude of, well, of course I'm going to be there. I've done these good things. Or are we going to come going, I cannot believe I'm at this lavish, swanky gathering for eternity with the Lord. How do I even, how do I even get on the invitation list? It says here that the servant was to compel people, not by force, but by argument, by reasoning. You can just kind of hear if you were to live in the parable, this, this poor servant out by the road to people traveling by, going, hey, my master's having a banquet. We'd love to have you. Uh, we don't even know your master. It doesn't matter that you're not going to know my master as of today. He wants to have you come. Well, we're not dressed right. It doesn't matter. Come on in. Well, we're dirty from traveling. That's okay. We're not like you. We speak a different language. It's all good. Uh, eating is international language. Let's just, just do this. Okay, let's go. And all these people come. And it's just a reminder that not only does this expose the hearts of the Pharisees in the room, but it reveals the heart of our God that no person is too broken. No person is too far gone to come to Christ. No person is too broken, too far gone, too dirty that they can't have a seat at the table. This is the heart of our God that we see. There's still room at the table. And then Jesus drops the aha moment. Jesus, Jesus brings it home. He's telling this parable. This is all second and third person story, right? Let's look at verse 23 and then go right into verse 24. The master said to the servant, go out to the highway and hedges, compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Verse 24, for I, up to this point it's been they, he, he goes to first person. I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. What banquet is he talking about? Isaiah 25. What banquet is he talking about? Revelation 19. Jesus is looking at this room of people who hosted him to bait him, basically saying, none of you who are so full of selfish, self-centered, self-sufficient, self-righteous pride are even going to be there. You know why? Because you think you deserve a seat. But instead, all these others who humbly came who saw their neediness, who saw their brokenness, who were just glad to be there, who understood the invite, they're going to be there. So as you look through this, we're reminded, if you think you deserve to be there, you won't. But if you don't think you deserve to be there, you can be. This is the beauty of what Christ is bringing home. 
the self-righteous, the ungrateful. They disqualified themselves and they were disinterested from the invite. And it's sad to realize that we still have people like that today. Do you realize it seems like Jesus is more interested in saving sinners than sinners are in being saved? Think about that. Your Jesus, who loves you, who died for you, who rose for you, seems to be more interested in saving sinners than sinners are in being saved. This luxurious invite that we have. But the broken, the humble, the far off that were invited in gratefully accepted the invitation and eagerly arrived. Which one are you? When you look at that parable, when you look at what Jesus is saying, who are you more like in the parable? Are you, are you like the Pharisees that are portrayed by the ones who like the idea of going, but in the end don't show up and are hiding behind an excuse? Or are you like the spiritually, because we're spiritually poor, are you like the poor, the blind, the needy, the lame that are just grateful to be there? And just to make sure that we're on the same page, let's just walk this through for a minute, okay? Some of you maybe grew up in a Christian home. Like you don't remember a moment of conversion. You just remember growing up and having the Bible and praying and loving Jesus and worshiping Him. And you absolutely love Jesus. And you believe in Jesus. You've trusted Him as your Savior. Guess what? You're going to be there. You're going to be there. Some of you that have just tried really hard to avoid sin, you try to just please God with your, your life and your choices. You love Jesus. You're, you're going to be there. Maybe you lead a Bible study. You lead a life group. You, you're faithfully sharing your faith with others. You're loving people well. You go on missions trips. You're full of compassion. You're going to be there. Like, we're going to be there because we love Jesus. But if you understand what Jesus is saying, don't miss this. You know who else is going to be there? The people who really messed up. Who really messed up and then came to Jesus, which means the addict is going to be at the table, which means the person who committed adultery and repented is going to be at the table. The, the person who's abused others, physical abuse, mental, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, if they really repented and came to Christ, they're going to be sitting at the table with you. The, the person who got locked up, maybe even for murder, guess what? They're going to be at the table if they come to Christ. Here's the question. Do you have a problem with that? Is there something inside of you that goes, no? You know what you just found? You found out that you think you deserve to be there, but they don't. And you're entitled to the seat, and they're not. Jesus was speaking to that heart. Self-righteous. <laughs> self-sufficient heart. And if that's you, what's happened without you knowing is you have accidentally shifted and adopted the mindset of a Pharisee who thinks that you deserve it because of your good behavior, you deserve it because of good works, and you've missed the point that the host who paid the cost has a right to invite anybody, and if they are willing to come, he gladly receives them and they get to dine. That's our God. That's our Savior. And we don't want to find ourselves slipping into this accidental Pharisee mindset. There's a great book called Accidental Pharisee. It's by a pastor named Larry Osborne. Here's a couple quotes from the book that I think just really uh, 
bring home and bring some texture to what I'm saying. He says, if you allow your frustration to turn to disgust and disdain for people you've left behind, basically people you feel like you're better than, you'll end up on a dangerous detour. Instead of becoming more like Jesus, you'll become more like his archenemies, the Pharisees of old, looking down on others, confident in your own righteousness. See, he hits the nail on the head here how we can accidentally slide into being self-righteous like the Pharisees we see in Scripture. You know those moments in Scripture when all of a sudden, instead of looking through a window, you start to realize you're looking in a mirror and God's pointing stuff out? Osborne goes on, he says, Our spiritual comparisons are incredibly biased. We have an amazing ability to compare things in a way that causes us to come out on top. And when we come out on top, it's hard not to look down on people who don't measure up. It's at this point that pride becomes particularly dangerous. Unfortunately, many of us fail to grasp how dangerous pride is. We know we shouldn't look down on others, but we tend to see it as a small sin. It's not the kind of thing that you go to prison for. It falls somewhere between uh, failing to floss and driving too fast. It's just something to work on. No big deal. Even if we admit to periodic bouts with pride, what most of us mean is it's tough to stay humble when I'm so much better than everyone else. You know what that means? I deserve to be here. They don't. If you think you deserve to sit at the supper of Christ, if you think you've earned it, you won't be there. You're too good for Jesus' invite. The blood of Christ wasn't enough. You got to work it off. But if you know that you are sinful and broken and lost and undeserving and unworthy, you're going to have the feast for eternity in the presence of Christ. I want to take what we've talked about. I want to take what Jesus has laid out here. I want to go to prayer with that in a minute. I want to come back to the first question I asked you. Will you be sitting at the great supper of the Lamb? Will your mom and dad be there? Will your children be there? Will your spouse be there? Hey, that person who lives next to you, all those people that live next to you, are any of them going to be there? people you work with, the people you encounter. Okay, it's not my notes. This is always dangerous. <laughs> Yesterday, I just outside, I ran into this random guy who's out there landscaping. We started chatting a little bit. And then he just, out of the blue, goes, are you a pastor? I'm like, yeah. He said, how'd you know that? He goes, oh, I, I, I didn't really know. I just sometimes pastors ask people to mow their lawns. And you know, I'm like, okay. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I haven't been to church in a couple years. I didn't even bring up church. Like, everyone, like, God just had these big signs, like, you know. So I, we started talking about church, and I invited him, and, you know, it's like, do, do we live our life as the faithful servant, always making sure people know that there's room at the table? Let's pray about this. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the reminder today that you are a gracious and generous host. God, we praise you that you have unlimited resources and you're the only one worthy to not only host this great supper, but that you've extended the invitation to all people to come. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. 
Jesus, we thank you for your death, your resurrection. We thank you for your future coming. We thank you for the invitation to be at your banquet. We thank you that you took the pressure off. We thank you that we don't have to try to earn or deserve our seat at your table. We thank you for the servants that you've sent out over the history of mankind to notify us of the banquet, the prophets of old, your son, your word, the men and women of history that loved you and spread the gospel all around the world. Thank you that many of us know without a shadow of a doubt that we're gratefully going to be at your table as undeserving guests. In fact, would you just thank the Lord for that? Would you just take a second? Would you say, God, thank you for inviting me to Think about what the Lord's invited you to. Would you just thank Him for that? Thank you, Lord, for inviting me to. God, we thank you for inviting us to a relationship with you, not cold, mechanical religion, but a relationship thank you that you invited us to forgiveness and new life in Christ. We thank you for inviting us to your banquet. Lord, we confess to you now that we have hidden behind lame excuses like the people in the parable. I just want to talk to you right now if, if you've never asked Christ into your life. Maybe you've been giving excuses as to why you shouldn't believe. Today's your day to tell God that you're sorry for that and to place your faith in Jesus. Would you just say something like this to the Lord? I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my rebellion. I'm sorry for my pride. I'm sorry for all the reasons I've hidden behind to avoid you. I repent. I turn away from those today. I profess my belief today in you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. I've got a lot of questions, but I'm willing to dedicate my life to follow you to get answers. Come into my life and be my Savior. While we're praying, I just... If any one of you today prayed that for the first time, can I just see your hand really fast? Anybody? Anybody just pray that for the first time? You've never done this before. Just pray it for the first time. Your next step is to get into a discipleship relationship with someone who's walked with the Lord, another believer. So we want to follow up with you and help you grow in the newness of your faith. But you have to help us out by letting us know that you took that step of faith today. And your program is a response card. Would you just mark down that you gave your life to Christ today? We're going to pass baskets at the end of the service. Please put that in there. Give us a way to contact you. We'll be in touch. So grateful that you made that decision today. I'm going to talk to my brothers and sisters in Christ for a while. Let's talk to the Lord. Lord, we confess that although we know it's your grace by which we're saved, we've let pride and theology of works creep into our lives, causing us to think highly of ourselves and less of others. We've become accidental Pharisees. And we're sorry for that. Help us to never forget that it's by your grace and your generosity alone that we're forgiven. And that by your grace and generosity alone, we'll spend eternity with you. 
we come as grateful guests. Lord, we also confess that we have hidden behind lame excuses as to why we would not go tell others about this great banquet. We've confessed that we've hoarded salvation and eternity to ourselves, and we've not been like this faithful servant who went out to the outcasts, to the broken, to let them know there was room at the table. So we confess that. Our pride, our distractedness has led to these things. Help us to be more faithful. In fact, would you just take a second as my brothers and sisters in Christ, and would you just pray that, Lord, help me to be faithful too. What is it the Lord's putting on your heart today? Ask Him to help you be faithful to that. Thank you for your invitation, Lord. We can't wait to dine with you. Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Help us to be faithful until that day comes. Jesus, we pray. Amen.